Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Now, today we are uh, wrapping up our series called Stand in the Gap. And uh, in this series, we've been exploring what it takes for someone to stand in the gap on the behalf of others. And this concept comes from us from 590 BC uh, when the people of God had turned their back on him. And so uh, the nation of Israel had been dispersed and the capital city of Jerusalem had been destroyed and people went to Babylon uh, because God could not find anybody who could stand uh, stand in the gap on the behalf of others. Everyone was living selfishly for themselves. And so he said this, he said this key verse we've been looking at, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. So eventually God raised up some gap fillers uh, to stand in the gap on the behalf of others. And so for the last three weeks, we've been looking at three different individuals uh, who stood up. And we're doing that because today God would have some of us to stand in the gap on the behalf of others. And so if you missed any part of this message series, I highly encourage you to check it out on our website, on our podcast. Now today, uh, we are looking at um, what is it that we're gonna talk about is that, uh, what is the significance of being someone who stands in the gap? And so many of us, uh, I don't know of anyone who starts out in life wanting to become a person who stands in the gap. Uh, Many of us were inundated with dreams about becoming something else. And so I need a little audience participation. I need to uh, help me figure out this uh, question that I'm going to put up here. And the question is this, growing up, what did you dream about becoming? And so say it out loud. What did you dream about becoming? A singer. A singer, yeah. What else? What else? I know there's dreams. Don't be embarrassed. So... A mother, a teacher. What about a Michigan Wolverine who took out the Spartans yesterday? So just saying. So what else? A teacher, I heard. A photographer. That's awesome. Yeah, those are some amazing dreams. Now, I'm curious, by a raise of hands, how many of you actually became your dreams? So raise your hands. Don't be afraid. Yeah, just a couple of you. Hey, that's kind of normal. Don't worry. We'll defriend you this afternoon on Facebook uh, because we're all jealous. Just teasing. But wouldn't it be great if at our youngest years... Uh, at our earliest ages, that we had this absolute clarity on what we wanted to become. And so uh, for most of us, we didn't. In fact, we got it wrong. Uh, We got it wrong when we were eight and we thought we'd be in the World Series right now, uh, about to happen. Uh, We got it wrong when we became 18 and we thought we had become an adult finally. And then we got it wrong, especially when we turned 28 and we had massive amounts of debt and the pounds just kind of started adding up. Uh, we thought we'd be skiing the rest of our lives, and it didn't take anything to do that at all, to remain that way. And then for some of us, uh, at the age of 38, uh, we kind of got a little like down. Uh, we got down because life isn't exactly what we thought it would be, because we're still living with our parents at home. Uh, so... <laughs> And then at 48, for some of us, you know, we finally figured out what we should be doing in life. And then at 58, most of us are just counting down the days to retirement. And at 68, we kind of feel like, you know, life just kind of happened. And uh, it didn't become what we wanted it to become. 
And then when I talk to those who are 78 plus, uh, they always say that they wish they had lived significantly uh, a better life. They wish they had been more intentional with the time that they had and the relationships that they invested in. They just wanted to uh, live a life of significance. I mean, we all want that. You know, don't we want to make a difference with our lives? Don't we want uh, to be able to have our lives count for something? Um, Whether you believe in God or not, uh, we all want to know that our lives counted for some reason. And so uh, today, if I ask that question, and we're going to spend some time on this question, the question is, what are you doing right now? What are you doing in your life? Are you just allowing life to happen, or are you living a life of significance? You know? Are, and then if standing in the gap, as we've been talking about, is something big, can that be significant? Is it enough? And so today, we're going to check out uh, this man who was named Caleb. And he was a man who stood in the gap and lived a life of significance. And we're going to see if it's possible uh, to do that and if it is a good thing. And so if you have your Bibles or your smartphone devices, uh, please turn to Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 in your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, always feel free to get one of the Bibles from the back. Uh, It is our gift to you as well. Now, we'll be putting the verses up on the screen uh, because we're going to be covering a lot of territory today in this historical account, but it's always good to see for yourself uh, in your Bibles. And so go ahead and turn to Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. It's the fourth book of the Bible. I'll give you a second to get there. Now, as you turn there, um, you might be wondering why we are spending so much time at looking at people uh, in the Bible. And uh, what we need to know is that the Bible is a collection of written historical accounts of God revealing himself uh, to us through the nation of Israel. And so it's amazing how much of these historical accounts are collaborated by other historical accounts or sources of history, and then also by the archaeological finds uh, in the Middle East. Uh, For instance, an American team back in 1925 to 1933 made this amazing archaeological discovery. Uh, They call it the Nusi Tablets. They dug up some 5,000 family and administrative historical tablets that spanned six generations from 1450 BC to 1350 BC. And the tablets dealt with the history of these people, uh, the social, economic, religious um, politics of the day, and they belonged to the people known as the Horians in northern Iraq. Now, what's really great about this discovery of the Nusi tablets is that it um, showed that another culture uh, took great amount of time to uh, continue to document. And um, at the same period of time that we're going to be checking out today, they had a great reverence to document the family, clan, and tribal records and pass those on from generation to generation. And so this was an amazing find because it showed that another group of people, not only the Jewish people, but another group of uh, people took great care to document their history and then to pass it along just like the Jewish people. And so let me tell you about the time period that uh, we are jumping into during this entire series, and it's important to know this. uh, We've been hanging out in 593 BC to about 432 BC. And uh, in 593 BC, Ezekiel warns the nation of Israel that God can't find anyone to stand in the gap. 
And so no one responds. In 586, Jerusalem is destroyed, but yet Ezekiel continues to point the people back to God. And then last week we learned in 473 BC that Queen Esther, she stood up in the gap and she uh, was used by God to save her people from annihilation. And then 440 BC, Nehemiah stands in the gap to unite the people, to rebuild the walls, and then also uh, to unite them with God. Now today we're gonna turn back the clock a thousand years from this time period, and we're gonna uh, check out uh, a time period of 1446 BC, just after the Jews had been miraculously saved by God from Egypt. And so the Jews leave Egypt, and for about three months, they travel to Mount uh, Sinai, where they receive the law, and they learn what it means to be in a relationship with God. And then for about two years, they hang out at Mount Sinai, um, and they learn two things. First, to build this portable temple uh, so that no matter where they went, they could hang out with God, and God could hang out with them. And then also to continue to receive this law from God on how to interact with him, and then how God would interact with them. And so this is this newly formed nation of two million people who are heading towards the promised land, the land that God had promised them, and they camp out at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And so that's where we're picking up. And let's see how this unfolds, and especially in Caleb's account. So chapter 13, verse one, the Lord now said to Moses, and he's the leader of Israel, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes, 12 tribes, 12 men, okay? Two of these men are Joshua and Caleb. Verse 17, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do they... Um, do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the Lebo Hamath. When they came to the valley of Eshkel, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. Now, I don't know if this happened, but I like to think that the two guys carrying back these enormous grapes are Joshua and Caleb because of what we'll see them be doing next. But I can imagine like Joshua in the back carrying this pole of these grapes and just thinking, man, they look so good. And uh, he's almost like ready to taste how sweet and juicy they are. And finally, he reaches out to them and he begins to eat them. And he makes this sound that all four of my kids at the dinner table make when there's something incredible good. They go, mmm, you know? And then all of a sudden, I imagine Caleb kind of looking back and yelling, what are you doing? And Joshua's like, you've got to try some of these grapes. They are so good. And I imagine Caleb just reaching back, grabbing one or two grapes. And now these guys are walking, just making that mmm sound, you know? And uh, as they continue to walk, I think they start to smile. And they smile because I think they realize that not only what they've tasted is good, but they've tasted how good God is as well. Because you gotta remember, for 400 years, 
They had been enslaved to the Egyptians, you know? They had no rights. They had no worth. They were told when to work and when to eat. They had no freedom. And so the only thing that they could hold on to at that time was that God was going to rescue them and deliver on his promise and the promise of that he would make them into a great nation and that that nation would be used to be a blessing to all nations and that he would give them land, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so here they are, they're exploring the promised land and they are beginning to experience the promises of God and watch them unfold. They've become a people of two million strong. They're a nation. God has been with them both day and night at Mount Sinai for two and a half years, speaking with them and providing for them. And now God is going to give them this land. I mean, their confidence is at an all-time high. Their confidence is in God. God is God who's given them clear direction and purpose that they've never had before. Now, here's one of the things that we need to know. When you want to live a life of significance, it has to be based on confidence. And as people who can't see what's right in front of us, how do we gain confidence? I mean, we can't see into the future. And as I've talked to people uh, over the years, uh, many who are struggling with like, hey, can I really you know, trust God? Or, hey, I'm considering God. Or people who may be in a relationship with God and they just want to grow, they just feel like, man, I've just got to have more faith. I've just got to believe more. Is that what I need to do? And it's not that you have to have great faith. You have to have faith in a great God. Let me say that again. It's not that you have to have great faith. You have to have faith in a great God because God from the beginning has tied all of his promises to people in history. And so when we look back upon history, we see a great God. And so when we look back in history, we see a great God. That's how we can become confident in moving forward because we can know that God has been faithful in the past and he will be faithful in our present. That's his MO. That's always been his MO. And as my kids are learning in Tide Pool and Riptide, God's got this. And so let's continue. When the spies returned, verse 27. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But then kind of, dun, 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 here's the twist. Verse 28, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We saw this bald guy who has blue war paint and wants to be Braveheart. No, Trent wanted to work himself into it. So I said, all right, I've got a spot for you. But anyways, uh, no. we, they said, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But Caleb, he cuts them off, okay? and tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. And he boldly said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. 
all the people we saw were huge. So they're making these big stories. So the next day we see 10 out of the 12 tribes, about 2 million people in front of Moses and they approach him and they pretty much want him to resign and they wanna go back to Egypt uh, to be enslaved again. Now, this wasn't the first time. In that short two and a half years, uh, the people of Israel uh, had rebelled 10 different times against God, and they wanted to go back to their old ways. Now, how easily they forgot God is powerful. I mean, these people saw God unleash 10 plagues upon Egypt because Pharaoh would not let his people go. These people saw God provide for them in the desert for two and a half years and fed 2 million people. Now we scratch our heads and we wonder why wouldn't they trust him? And because we know this, we know how easy it is to cave into the crowd, you know? Uh, For instance, haven't we all been confident of wanting to do something and we knew we needed to do it, but yet it only takes one voice to discourage us and keep us from doing it? Um, This past week, uh, on Tuesday morning, my daughter, uh, who's nine years old and her name's Audrey, approached me because she had an idea that she wanted to do to raise money for the five students that our kids' areas and our student areas are raising to send these students uh, to school. And so she said, Dad... Um, I want to make bookmarks uh, today, and I want to sell them at Trevor's uh, soccer practice. Now, the first thing that goes in my mind is, okay, I've seen her bookmarks. They're, they're not so good, you know? Yeah. Ugh, don't tell her that, okay? And so, but then I all of a sudden thought, Tim, you can't do this. You have got to support her. You've got to make a way. So we talked about it and we said, you know, it would be great to combine that with like maybe this ring pop sucker and everything. And so let's make this thing happen. Now she worked throughout the day. And when I came home uh, from that afternoon, she had made all these bookmarks and uh, she got her brothers to help make them and they were decorated and everything. And on the back of them, it talked about uh, how they wanted to raise money for these five kids in Guatemala. And so they had made these 17 cool little packages. And the thought entered my mind, you know, I, I better warn her. Like she might not sell all of them, you know, because I don't want her to be discouraged if she doesn't, you know, sell all of them. And, uh, and so I start to tell her, and I see her face kind of just get down. And then I thought, Tim, where is your faith? Tim, You have a powerful God. And so I said, Audrey, maybe you'll sell all of them. And so she gets in the car with mom and her brothers and they're heading and she says, mom, can can I pray out loud? And Sarah's like, yeah, go ahead and pray. And she said, she starts praying. She said, God, would you help me to sell all 17 of these things on the behalf of these kids who need to go to school? And then she gets more bold. She says, God, can I have conversations with people about you? Because I know all three service times that I can invite them to. And then she even got more bold. She said, God, would one of those people show up to Epic and enter into a relationship with you? And she pours out her heart to God. And so she comes home and here's what happened. She sold all 17 of them. Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that, yeah. So, but here's the really cool thing, okay? 
She even approached a woman who had a dog on a leash, and Audrey is scared to death of dogs, okay? Even if they're on a leash, she just begins to shake. But she was determined to stand in the gap for these kids and to tell people about God, and she went up and she did not even shake as she's talked to this person. And so it was an amazing thing. It was amazing to see God come alongside of her and become her confidence and to teach her how to stand in the gap on the behalf of others. And so I will never forget just her eyes beaming and how excited she was and her voice as she told me what happened. And I just thought, I am so glad that she did not listen to my negative voice and my doubt. And I'm so glad that God is powerful and encouraged her and touched her in a way that made a major difference in her life at such a young age to show that he is trustworthy. And it was an amazing thing to watch. So let's continue on with the nation of Israel. So picking up in chapter 14, verse 7, we've got this entire nation that has quickly forgotten that God is powerful, and they're up against four guys at this point. They're up against Moses, the leader. They're up against Aaron, his brother, who's the priest of the people, and Joshua and Caleb. And so Moses and Aaron, they're in front of two million people who are about to rebel, and they start to pray. Joshua and Caleb, they start to speak up to the entire nation, and my gut is that Caleb did more so because he's bold, and he does bold things, and this is what they say. In verse 7, they said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the, that land and give it to us. It is rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Now, what would cause these two guys to stand up against two million people and risk their lives? You know, and especially Caleb. I mean, this guy, you know, what would cause him to do that? Um, he speaks bold all the time. Why does he speak bold? Who is Caleb? Well, Caleb is the son of Jephuni, the Kenesite. And most scholars agree that um, his father was not Jewish, but his mother was. And back then, if you were not fully a Jew, you were considered an outsider. And so here's what I wonder. I wonder when Caleb was back in Egypt and uh, God said that he was going to send this last plague upon Egypt. I wonder if it was at that point that God got a hold of Caleb's heart. The Egyptians, they were born uh, or warned that the firstborn of the entire nations of each household would die as the final plague. And the only way to protect uh, themselves or to protect uh, their households was to kill a lamb with no defects that was perfect and to sacrifice this lamb to God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and place its blood along the doorframe of each household. And I wonder if Caleb, who was the firstborn of his household, as he uh, sacrificed that lamb and began to spread the blood on his household, began to see that God was making a way for even an outsider to be saved. Because Caleb was not Jewish by blood. 
Instead, he saw that a, the blood of a sacrifice would make him acceptable to God. And so as he spread that blood along the doorposts, he probably thanked God for saving him. He trusted God with his heart. And I think that's why he wholeheartedly followed after God and was so bold because God had boldly saved him, an outsider. And I think this is confirmed when we look at scripture because God uniquely notes this about Caleb. He says that Caleb had a different spirit. And it's recorded six different times that Caleb is known as one who follows God. Only two other people are known for that. In verse 24, I love how God says this, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And so Caleb, he held nothing back in serving God because God held nothing back in saving him an outsider. And see, when God has your heart, you will live a life of significance. You will stand in the gap on the behalf of others because God, stood on, in the gap on the behalf of us. And we see this played out in Caleb's life um, because he never lost faith in God. Uh, God told the nation of Israel at that point, you guys aren't ready and I'm gonna send you into the wilderness and wander for 40 years. So the nation of Israel had to wander in the desert for 40 years and all that time, Caleb never got discouraged. He was always patient. And then all of a sudden, fast forward 40 years, they're about to enter into the, the land. They've been in the land conquering it. And at this point, Caleb's 85 and he's still making bold speeches and he's still acting boldly and literally, Listen and watch this. In Joshua 14, 6, a delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who sent who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, and this is Caleb speaking, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak, who were the ones who were the biggest giants, the greatest in the land. And so there they had great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. And Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenesite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, here's what we know. It was through the tribe of Judah, the tribe that Caleb belonged to, 
according to all the written accounts that were rigorously kept track of by the nation of Israel, that eventually the Savior, the Savior of the world, was born through the line of Judah. Jesus was the long-awaited promised Messiah. He was the Lamb of God who paid the price of our sins with his blood. Jesus held nothing back. He gave his life to boldly save us. And we are saved when we ask Jesus to save us. It doesn't matter who you are, outsiders and all, you are invited and you will be found acceptable. That's what happened in history. Now, when I look at the end of Caleb's life, I don't think he had any regrets in life. And God doesn't want any of us to have regrets in life. And God gave Caleb a new heart. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, he gives us a new heart. He gives us a new heart to stand in the gap on the behalf of others. He gives us a new heart to take the talents and the abilities that he's given to us and to develop them for the good of others. He gives us a new heart to be able to wholeheartedly follow him and to be bold and live in this life and to speak to people who need to hear that they are acceptable as well. And so here's what stands before us. We have an entire community. We have friends and family members who need to know that God is powerful and he wants to do that through us. And so this week we have a real opportunity to show our community that we are for them. Next Sunday is our flagship event called 3G Sunday, where we go and we, uh, where we gather, we go and we give. And so we come here at 8, 10 a.m., for some of you, you need to know it's eight o'clock in the morning, okay? So eight o'clock to check in. And then we go and we're doing 21 different projects in our community in Palm Coast and Flagler Beach and in Bunnell. And we give of our times and talents. Now we don't do this to like put our names in the lights or to be known, you know, for patting ourselves on the back or anything like that. We do this to show people that they matter and that they matter to God. And so here's where we're at. We have about 320 people signed up right now. And we need about 80 more people to sign up. Now we do all that we can to make it real easy for you just to be able to sign up and to show up. There's so many logistics that are involved. Most of the projects are from eight o'clock till noon. So only four hours that you're giving of your time. And then also some of them go maybe just a little bit into the afternoon. We even have childcare from birth to kindergarten so that you can go. Many of the projects you can take your entire family on as well. So we do everything that we can to make it so simple. But we need you to stand in the gap for the sake of others. We need you to sign up today. Because 80 people, that doesn't sound like a lot, but that means some projects aren't going to get done. 
that means some of the projects we might not be able to finish. Now, if you signed up, we need you to show up, okay? Even if you are sick, all right, show up, stand in the gap that day, stomach it for four hours, all right? So show up next Sunday to do that. Now, here's what I wanna do. I wanna highlight some of the projects that we still need help on. So go ahead and grab in your seats, there's a sign-up list or a list with all the projects on there. And here's what we need your help on. Uh, under the painting projects, uh, four years ago, we painted the entire facilities of Frida Zamba Pool. And we need nine more people. If you are a painter, if you are a professional painter, especially, uh, or you know how to use professional painting uh, equipment, or you know someone who's a professional painter, we've only committed to painting the offices. Four years ago, we painted the entire thing, but it is a major project. And so if you would sign up for that project, here's what happened. Four years ago, uh, after we painted that, the city council invited us to come to one of their meetings. And we showed up and the mayor said this publicly in front of everyone. He said, it touched his heart that a church would ask its community how it could help. And he got a little choked up about that. And that was an amazing impact. And so let's continue to do those types of things. Another project that we have, how many of you are dog or cat lovers? Come on, I know you're out there, don't be embarrassed. Dog and cat lovers, all right. Hey, there we go, a few of you. Uh, we've got the Humane Society. This is a first-time partnership. They want us to paint the cat rooms. If you're a dog lover, think they're the dog rooms, okay? Um, but anyways, we've got eight, we need eight people to paint the rooms over there to show them that, hey, we care about every aspect of our community. And then we've got the Wadsworth uh, Elementary School right behind us. They, we asked the principal what they could do, what we could do for them. They want us to paint a room. And so uh, we use that side all the time for starting point. Many of you have been through starting point. So this is a great way to say thank you. Now, under the landscaping projects, we got Samaritan Ministries, which is new, and they help women who are in a tough bind and they offer some spiritual guidance and they are amazing at what they do. They need seven people to help out with landscaping uh, in a place that they just kind of got and are fixing up and everything. And then the Flagler Beach has asked us uh, to help out on their Silver Lake Park. And they want us to remove some saplings. They want us to do some landscaping, widen the paths and everything. So it would speak volumes to that community for us to do that. They all know about that park. I don't know about that park. I found out about it a few years ago, but they know. And so we need 14 people to sign up to be able to do that. And then Wadsworth also, if you've had a, a child who's attended Wadsworth, they want some landscaping that's done. So why not bring your kids, if they're there or if they uh, have been there, to say, let's give back and let's invest. So we need 11 people there as well. And then we've got Habitat for Humanity. This is our longest partner. We've been around for nine years. We've partnered with them for nine years. We need six people to help set trusses. Uh, they always speak highly of us and say, wow, when Epic shows up, it gets done. And so let's continue to have that reputation for them. And then Whispering Meadows, if you're not familiar with them, uh, they need us to build uh, fences. They need four people. They do this amazing thing where they help people with special needs and disabilities uh, and help them through an equestrian-assisted program. And so if you're unfamiliar with that organization, they're doing an amazing thing right here in our community. And then ultimately, we need some childcare. okay? So we need four more people to sign up uh, so that we can unleash 400 people upon our community. And so if you have not signed up, please sign up today. If you have signed up, please show up next week as well. And what time are we going to be here? Eight o'clock. That's awesome. Eight o'clock. Think of that. All right. So now here's a final thought for us. Okay. Um, 
We want to begin to pray this week for next week. And so on your spiritual growth challenge this week, we've put a prayer guide uh, for you to be able to pray each day with us. If we all set our phones at noon and just take a moment to pray for our community, that would be awesome. We can really show up and stand in the gap for our community by praying for them on a regular basis and then by serving them. Caleb was bold. Let's be bold like Caleb. Let's stand in the gap on the behalf of others. And we will see that that leads to living a life of significance. So I'm going to pray and then uh, sign up. That's it. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for who you are. God, if there's someone here today that, um, man, they just saw you. They just saw all the dots connected. They didn't realize that you accept everyone and that they are invited. And so if someone's in that spot that's like, you know, I want to be in. I want to become a part of the family. And so, God, I just pray that they will ask you, Jesus, to save them, that they will ask you to forgive them of their sins, and that you will become their God. And Father, just thank you so much for working throughout history. Through the line of Judah, you sent your son. He gave his life. He paid the price for our sins with his blood. His blood was spread on the cross for all of us. And so God, may we use what you've done in our lives, how you've gripped our hearts to go out and stand on the behalf of others in our community. So help us this week. May we have great weather. May we have 400 people strong to go and show our community that you are for them. So I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for being here. Be here at eight o'clock next week and we'll get rolling.